Leviticus 24 and 25. Let's pray before we begin, Father. Thank you so much that we can draw, that you draw us into your presence, that we can hear from your word and how much there is before us today in these two chapters, Lord, which you have for us to enrich our souls, Lord, to remind us of Christ, which stir us up to worship Christ, to call our hearts into a holy fear of you, to draw us into a joy of you. Lord, I just pray, Father, that you would, by your Spirit, use this word today to bless your people, but more importantly, to bless you, even as we hear it and speak it and are drawn to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Leviticus chapter 24, verse 1, says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they bring to you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to make the lamps burn continually. Outside the veil of the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting, Aaron shall be in charge of it from evening until morning before the Lord continually. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. He shall be in charge of the lamps on the pure gold lampstand before the Lord continually. And so here you have a picture of the tabernacle. This is a commandment concerning the uh, lampstand and the menorah in the tabernacle. Remember there are uh, three parts um, to the tabernacle area, the most holy place, the holy place, and then outside is the court of the tabernacle in which there is the altar for burnt offerings and other offerings. And uh, here, the light, the menorah, it was the only source of light in the tabernacle. It's put right before the, right in front of the veil that leads into the most holy place. So it was placed in the holy place. And so, uh, not a coincident, a God incident that we, on Sunday mornings, we are in John chapter 8, where Jesus declares in verse 12, I am the light of the world. Now, in the book of Matthew, Jesus does say to uh, the people, you are the light of the world. And uh, it could be said that... Um, in verse 2 it says it says it's important to make the lamps burn 
continually repeats again in verse 4 that the gold lampstand was uh, before the Lord continually and in, in burning continually. And uh, Jesus Christ, he was full of the Spirit. And uh, it can only be said of him that on every occasion he walked by the Spirit. And of course the oil in the uh, Bible uh, represents uh, the Holy Spirit. And uh, he says also in the book of John, I always do that which the Father tells me. It says in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 that in all points he was tempted uh, as we have been except without sin. And that's because when he was faced, every time Jesus was faced with a temptation, he uh, surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit and uh, chose to re- to uh, chose righteousness over chose to follow the Father over the temptation. In other words, the light burned continually because the oil was filled continually. Now, we are referred to in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6 as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we too have the Holy Spirit uh, within us. And that's why Jesus refers to us as the light of the world. Now, of course, um, our light flickers. Sometimes it uh, turns off because we're not surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes uh, Christians go through times of a backsliding where the Holy Spirit Spirit just has no place at all in their life, and the light is dim, uh, dim to the point of not being able to see it. But um, nevertheless, we are given that privilege, and therefore we are called the the light of the world. Uh, you know, in the book of Galatians, uh, chapter 6, it says, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the, li- the lust of the flesh. Chapter uh, Galatians, rather, chapter 5, verse 16. And um, to the extent we're drawing on that oil, the oil in the lampstand, the Holy Spirit, we can choose to follow the Spirit rather than the flesh, rather than giving into temptation. Um, Here it says in verse 2, command the children of Israel that they bring to you pure oil of pressed olives. So, uh, it's carefully noted there that the children of Israel, it wasn't just the Levites, it wasn't just the priests who had responsibility for bringing the oil. It was the children of Israel themselves and uh, that were responsible for bringing the oil. Now, it was the priests who were in charge of tending the lampstand and uh, that type of thing. And, and uh, same thing today. Every Christian um, has a role in church for the light of the world, Jesus Christ, uh, the body of Christ, to be alit. Every single member of the church. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Uh, we as a church body may grow up in all things into him who is the head of Christ from whom the whole 
body joined and knit together, referring to many men, women, and children, by what every joint supplies, referring to many uh, men, women, and children, according to the effect of working by which every part, referring to every man, woman, and child, does its share, causes growth of the body, i.e. the light to shine, for the edifying of itself in love. And so um, here you have this picture in Leviticus 24 of this light shining. Uh, there's also uh, uh, the, the sense there that uh, supremely it, 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 it is the Lord that and his presence that uh, keeps the, uh, the tabernacle alit. And uh, it's only Jesus Christ which will keep the church alit. It's not the works of our flesh. It's not good deeds done in the flesh, dead works. It's only Jesus Christ. How we need to be dependent on him and looking to him to be the light uh, of the church which draws all men to him. Verse 5, another wonderful picture. It says, And you shall take the fine flour and bake twelve cakes with it. Two tenths of an ephah shall be in each cake. You shall set them in two rows, six in a row, on the pure gold table before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, for it is most holy to him from the offerings of the Lord made by fire by a perpetual statute. And so the, uh, the showbread, uh, the 12 cakes, the 12 loaves here, uh, representing the 12 tribes of, uh, of Israel here. And just as Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 12, de declares himself to be the light of the world. So we see in John chapter 6, verse 48, Jesus declaring, I am the bread of life. So much about Christ here in the pages of Leviticus. And so the, he, he's the light um, of the world, the light of his, of his church. He's also um, our bread where we get our susten, uh, sustenance. Uh, they were, these 12 uh, loaves here were placed in the uh, holy place uh, like the menorah right outside the most holy place. A reminder to the children of Israel that God is um, always close to them. Uh, the bread uh, in the ancient world uh, always representing fellowship. Uh, this the importance of fellowship with 
God. Jesus says in John 15 uh, that um, if you abide in me and I and my word abides in you, there will be fellowship, fellowship with God. So important. We are the branch. He's the vine. Um, it is true here that in uh, Leviticus chapter 24 that the bread is, is only eaten by priests and uh, they were to eat the bread in the presence of the high priest. Uh, it says there in verse 9, It shall be for Aaron the high priest and his son. They shall eat it in a holy place. Uh, and so in the in the Bible in First Peter we are called we every born again believer is called a priest, but the fellowship needs to be with the high priest. We are reminded um, in the book of Hebrews that Christ is our high priest, and so um, we must in order to be sustained in our service uh, to the Lord uh, that we must have that fellowship with the high priest. Serving the Lord is impossible without intimacy with the high priest. And I, I find even in my in my own life, the Lord, uh, the Bible uh, really commands us to be serving with joy, but that is an impossible task. I know just speaking for me individually, without intimacy with the high priest, my high priest, Jesus, uh, every day. And so uh, Jesus is the light of the world. He also says, I am the bread of life. And um, when he is declaring those things in John chapter uh, 8, John chapter 6, he's drawing right out of Leviticus chapter 24. Okay, so we take a, a fairly, what could be called a fairly sharp turn now in verse 10 of Levit Leviticus uh, 24. It says, Now the son of an Israelite woman, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the children of Israel, and this Israelite's Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought each other in the camp, and the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed, and so they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shelemith, the daughter of Dibri of the tribe of Dan, meaning this is a historical event. These are not made up legends. This person uh, had a mother with a name, and uh, the mother uh, had a mother with a name, and there was a tribe. These are his, a historical record that we are reading here. Verse 12 says, Then they put him in custody that the mind of the Lord might might be shown to them. It's just a, uh, just a, just a side note there. It's so wonderful that in times um, of grace, crisis and urgency that we may seek out what the mind of the Lord is. Uh, so important uh, that uh, we have that we have that privilege. Um, in First Corinthians chapter uh, two, it says, at, "Yeah, verse ten it says, but God has revealed them to us uh, through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things. Yes, 
the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him, even so no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. And and so there had been some revelation uh, about what to do in this you know, in this when this particular kind of incident happens, but you know, when faced with the just the fear of the possible ramification, uh, they were seeking the mind of the Lord. Always um, an important thing to do. Verse 13 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take outside the camp him who has cursed. Then let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him. Then you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. And whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him, the stranger as well as him who is born in the land. When he blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall be put to death. Whoever He shall be put to death. And so, um, here you have this man. Uh, it says that he is the son of an Israelite woman whose father was an Egyptian. I don't think you should read anything into that as um, if because he was not a full-blooded uh, Israelite, he was more prone to sin. In fact, uh, the, some of the great saints um, in the Old Testament, I think of Caleb, who was a Kenite, um, came from descended from a mixed marriage um, as well as well as many many others but uh, uh, here they are identifying him and uh, it says he curses the name of the Lord and he uh, but it adds that he also blasphemed the name of the Lord meaning he treated he 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 despised the name he spoke in such a way as uh, as despising the name of the Lord, as dis- despising God. I have had a number of altercations on the street of Boston over the years. I remember one time I was walking up from the Roxbury Crossing T spot and uh, there was... Uh, Right in front of me, there was a a, a gangbanger uh, walking up the street, trying to make out like he was um, minding his own business. And uh, uh, another uh, fellow came by who was about three times his size and literally picked him up and uh, sh- started shaking him. And a enormous knife fell out of his pants onto the ground and the person who was shaking him took the knife and ran away and uh, I went up to the the young man uh, who clearly was associated with with the gang life and I said I said man you need Jesus Christ you need to turn to Jesus Christ at which point he he uh, said I'm not going to quote the exact words what he said but it was uh, blankety blank Jesus 
Jesus can blankety blank. He screamed at me and and uh, and went off. And uh, I I want to assure you that I'm not pointing the finger at him uh, or judging him uh, in any way. Uh, the Bible says that um, I am capable of doing the same thing uh, as well, uh, and as is every other human being on planet Earth. Jesus says in Matthew 15, verse 19, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, uh, false witness, and blasphemies. And that's what uh, that young man did, and it was not the only time on the streets in you know various uh, times when I've been talking with the Lord about uh, talking uh, about the Lord with someone, uh, there's been similar reaction. But that's a blasphemy when someone says Jesus can blankety blank or blankety blank Jesus. They're despising. They're publicly uh, despising the name of the Lord and. Um, uh, here you have uh, the the mind of the Lord here was to put this man to death. And, you know, looking at this with uh, modern eyes and ears, we may question it. Like, how could this be so? Uh, I, I think uh, we need to consider um, a couple things. Uh, first and foremost... As I recently mentioned in uh, my Sunday morning teacher on John chapter uh, 8, verses 1 through 11, where a woman was dragged before uh, Jesus uh, to be stoned. Well, uh, praise the Lord, Jesus was stoned for us. Uh, if it wasn't the case, um, we might very well be under the same condemnation as sentences as this man. Jesus uh, ushered in a new covenant in which we're no longer subject to this. Nevertheless, here it, God is pulling Israel out of the dregs of, of, of the world. And um, at this point, yeah, there were uh, strict rules and God's name had to be holy. And God was making it really clear uh, what that meant. Um, you may say, well, I could sort of understand murder being uh, a capital crime, but blaspheming God? Well, I will submit to you that um, to think about, reflect on this, uh, might it be the case that blaspheming God is worse than murder? I mean, if you consider the long-term effect of a family, of a community, of a city, of a nation blaspheming God, and what results from that in a society... Uh, which actually we see a picture of in the book of Judges. When that happens, uh, uh, when there is uh, no, uh, when God is not king of the society, of the community, man does whatever is right in his own eyes, it leads to widespread murder, widespread rape, w widespread abortion, and uh, as well as the twisting of. Um, uh, of the definition of, of, of family, of marriage, and and sexual identity, and everything else, and and so uh, it, it, it's it's a serious thing. In the United States, 
every day the name of God is blasphemed uh, in increasing measure, and our society is being reflected. Um, our society, uh, what's happening in our society, is a reflection of that. And it seems each year we're, we're getting to a place which is uh, worse and worse. Just last week, a group of four or five young uh, men who were on uh, all smoking weed uh, looked filmed for 10 minutes a man who was drowning and uh, were laughing and when he went under they just said oh he's dead and and just with complete apathy not caring and so uh, this is where what happens to a nation and which begins blaspheming God at some point. And so uh, rather than drawing a line midway as to when the judgment would, would happen, God draws a line at the very front and says anyone who blasphemes God will be, shall be put to death. And so uh, that's what happens here. I have to say, um, I'm thankful that Christ was stoned for me because we're all blasphemers and we all deserve um, we all deserve that, that that sentence. And before I move on, I do want to uh, say this: that Christians are not responsible for defending God's honor. So if someone is out there and does some horrible thing to the Bible or curses Jesus' name or uh, 30 years ago, someone um, had a painting of, of Jesus Christ in, uh, in, in urine, and there was, an, there was an uproar. We don't defend God's honor. There are some religions, such as the Muslim religion, uh, that uh, they are called to defend God's honor. We're not as Christians. We leave that to God. If God wants to do something um, about that. Um, he will do it, and and actually he will over time. <laughs> but we're called to peace and not to be reactionary. And and man does such a poor job at reacting and responding to violations such as this. And we are called to respond uh, in love. And so, uh, let's continue. Actually, before we do, uh, it's interesting here, verse 15, every time I see this in the Old Testament, it, it does something to my heart. It says, in verse 15, it says, Then you shall speak to the children of Israel, whoever curses God shall bear his sin. And uh, we should remember that, but for Christ, we would be bearing our own sin and any sin and the penalty for any sin even whether it's a serial murder or or the the slightest inkling of pride uh, if we bear it there's a consequence for that and it's death and hell but jesus bore our sin for us the the bible makes 
clear in Isaiah 53, he bore our sin for us. And so uh, whenever you see that, uh, particularly in the, in, the, in the Levitical law and in the Pentateuch, a uh, man bearing sin, remember Jesus, just think of Jesus uh, on the cross. Verse 17, whoever kills any man shall surely be put to death. That commandment originated right from Genesis chapter 9 after the flood uh, that was uh, instituted there. Verse 18, whoever kills an animal shall make it good animal for animal. And so clearly in the Bible, uh, man has far more value than an animal. doesn't mean for a second that uh, animals should be mistreated, but uh, animals are not made in the image of God, the Bible says. Man is made in the image of God. Verse 19, if a man causes disfigurement of his neighbor as he has done, so shall it be done to him, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as he has caused disfigurement of a man, so shall it be done to him. A couple things uh, with that. Whenever I read that particular verse, I do think of Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, where Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. And so uh, when it comes to personal relationships, personal interactions, uh, we are called to a radical lifestyle of um, allowing God to be the one to be the punishment. Now, none of this um, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, it means that the government uh, is not supposed to be charged with, in some cases, uh, meeting out an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But in terms of personal relationships, so important that the rule is love and how many people have turned to God because they have slapped someone a Christian in the face and the Christian turned them the other how many over the course of the millennium have turned to Jesus because of that uh, num- I also I can't help but the importance of also uh, reminding us for the second time again in this study that God is meeting Israel right where they're at, which uh, in this primitive time, uh, they he had, uh, the Old Testament is progressive revelation, meaning God is revealing himself uh, to them. He's drawing them out of the world. And so uh, this kind of punishment Uh, exchanging disfigurement for disfigurement, although clearly not applicable to today, to any modern government, enlightened government. Um, At the time, he's pulling them um, out of a far, far worse place than we could ever imagine. And he's getting them to know the importance of law, the importance of order here. Um, Also, 
uh, it should not go without notice that uh, in some respects, this is protecting the people against sentences that are too harsh. In other words, if uh, um, eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, if uh, someone uh, plucks out an eye, that person is not to be, you know, have their ear, nose, eye, and hand plucked out. And this is the rule of law throughout human history since the fall of many, many communities and societies. If you want to see an example of this, Peace Child uh, by Don Richardson. Man, if there was a murder uh, by one jungle tribe of another, they would retaliate retaliate with five murders. Another example that the streets of Boston in the year 2017, uh, one kid gets murdered, uh, in one gang, the gang will turn around and murder two or three. And so uh, that is well, the whole concept of law and order. Verse 21, and whoever kills an animal shall restore it, but whoever kills a man shall be put to death. You shall have the same law for the stranger as from your own country. And then it's emphasized, it's underscored, for I am the Lord your God. And so no favoritism there, particularly in, you know, with these laws uh, relating to eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Don't let an Israelite off with a slap of a hand where in the same situation, the uh, penalty would be much more severe to um, to an alien or to an immigrant. Throughout the Bible, God uh, sees the immigrant as uh, a man or woman to have compassion on and to as, as an immigrant as people who are vulnerable to the worst basis parts of human nature. And so there's protection of them. And Christians today um, who join in with the anti-immigrant rhetoric, the tone towards them of hatred, uh, there will be chastisement. There will be judgment uh, in their lives as a result of that. You need to be very careful, um, remembering God's heart, uh, particularly since apart from Christ, we were all strangers, immigrants, and God loved us and brought us in and made us family. So we're not supposed to be treating um, people who are outside of um, our ethnic background in a lesser way. Verse 23, Then Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and they took outside the camp him who had cursed and stoned him with stones. So the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. Okay, Leviticus 25. And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying... Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Sabbath meaning a rest. Verse 3, Six years you shall sow your field, six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. 
But in the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. What grows of its own accord of your harvest, you shall not reap, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine, for it is a year of rest for the land. And the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you, for you, your male and female servants, your hired man and the stranger who dwells with you. For your livestock and the beasts that are in your land, all its produce shall be for food. So here you have the uh, law that every seventh year... God doesn't want a, a, a new sowing of the land. He wants the land to be laid to rest, um, which uh, served uh, a number of different purposes. One was just to replenish the soil with minerals and that type of thing. Minerals are, are filled with I mean, rather, the soil is filled with minerals, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, calcium, sulfur, uh, and uh, other things that are necessary for our body, including iodine. I was visiting um, a medical doctor recently who uh, diagnosed me for a uh, hypo thyroid condition um, in which my thyroid was underperforming and uh, one of the things that is important for good thyroid uh, operation functioning is iodine and she just mentioned that um, iodine is depleted in our land today because the land is um, so heavily used for livestock can't always um, adequately do the job and so here you have God um, taking care of that type of thing by resting the land so it could be replenished but there were a number of other things going on too um, the seventh year was to be a year of rest not only to rest the land but to rest the owners of the land and also the servants, verse 2. It says, um, you shall uh, rest, six years you shall sow your field and six years you shall prune your vineyard and, and, and gather um, its fruit. Rather, verse 6 is... Um, the verse that I'm getting at here, it says, And the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you, for your male and female servants, your hired men, and the strangers who dwell with you. And so um, everyone is is supposed to be resting, and, 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 and including the people themselves, not only the land, but the people themselves uh, and we, we also notice that um, it's in these verses that uh, verse 4 the, the beasts that are in the land are also uh, it's a time of rest for them um, but mostly um, um, verse uh, the fourth reason would be 
for this year of Sabbath rest was to remember that the land is the Lord's. It says in verse 23, the land, uh, the land is mine, later on in verse 23. In verse 2, it says, when you come to the land which I give you. And so there's just that year that God is commanding here where it's at rest. And you can imagine um, every day when a farmer uh, wakes up and he's used to uh, working the land every, you know, six days a week for year after year after year, uh, thinking, wow, you know, I'm not supposed to do anything today because this is a year of rest and, and, and just reflecting, but this is because this, this is God's land and we are God's people. And so what a statement to the owner, what a statement to the servants, what a reverence um, that it would just put in the people uh, why don't we continue? It says uh, in verse 8, And you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourselves, seven times seven years, and uh, and the time of the seven Sabbath of years shall be uh, to you forty-nine years. Then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement you shall make the trumpet sound uh, to sound throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year, proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants it shall be a jubilee for you each of you shall return his possession and each of you shall return to his family and so there you have another year that the land it will talk a little bit more about the year of jubilee more about the year year of jubilee in in a bit but every 49 years you'd have two years where the land was to be put to rest and um of course you know, one question that you ask when entire an entire year is set aside and the land is put to, to rest, well, how is this paid for? Well, it's in verse 21 that that is specified. It says, it says in verse 20, and you sh- and if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year since we shall not sow nor gather in our produce? Then I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year and it will bring forth produce enough for three years. In other words, in the year before the year of rest, God would give twice the harvest. And, uh, you know, there's no record of Israel ever obeying this. God gives them an opportunity to have a full year off, and there's no record of them ever obeying it. Uh, in Second Chronicles chapter 36, we read that the Babylonians came in uh, uh, many years later, of course, hundreds and hundreds of years later, took the children of Israel after they had been in the land and carried them off to uh, Babylon. And the, uh, the exile was for 70 years. And Second Chronicles 36 Verse 21 says, To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah so that the land can enjoy your Sabbath. Meaning, apparently for 490 years, they had ignored this law, which had been given to them as a gift. It had given them 
for rest, given them to stir up reverence to the Lord, given as a gift, but they neglected the gift, they rejected it. And God had his way of saying, well, there's going to be obedience of that, even if it's sort of forced obedience. So he took them out of the land. And remember years ago, Pastor Scott giving a great illustration of this teaching that took a long, long time before there was judgment. And it could be that the first time this was ignored in the seventh year, someone gave in to greed. They couldn't imagine not having the profits from produce in that seventh year so they said forget this I'm going to go ahead and and tend the land anyway or perhaps they gave into fear thinking I, how am I really going to survive what if God doesn't come through and give twice the the produce or the produce that he's, he's already blessed me with in this sixth year won't last uh, the, the, this whole seventh year and um, so they ignore it and in the seventh year they, they begin to tend it and then they look around and they're waiting for the consequences to happen for their disobedience and the consequences don't come to them. And even after the seventh year, the year of rest, they don't, don't see any consequences. Uh, well, sometimes the consequences that uh, God has for us take a long time. So please do not be fooled if you are currently in some sin and you are not current you have not as yet experienced consequences. The consequences will come. Sometimes they come years later. But a great principle there. And uh, but what a tragedy here that they uh, did not take advantage of this phenomenal gift from the Lord to have a whole year off and uh, my wife and I often reflect that the happiest people as a general rule in society are, are, are lower middle class people who rely on their wage from week to week they don't really have much savings there um, and it's so often the case that greed and the desire for more, the desire for riches, just brings on anxiety and lack of peace in a person's life. And I, I, I this to me here in Leviticus 25, what an illustration of that, 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 that just the peace that could, ha, could result from a whole year off seeking the Lord. You know, when I, from time to time, I take... Uh, a number of days um, off to just do nothing but seek the Lord. And the peace that comes in as a result of that uh, can, just cannot be equaled elsewhere where you're, you're resting from your work. But as so often is the time man rejected uh, a gift of God out of greed or out of fear, this type of thing. So then we also here have read about the uh, feast of uh, uh, the, well, the year of, of Jubilee um, every 50 years that uh, um, if you had sold the land, the land would come back to you and uh, 
this was really a, an extraordinary thing uh, in and of itself. Uh, and so if you're, uh, um, as it says uh, in verse 14, if you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. Meaning if your neighbor uh, got unto hard times, fell upon hard times and had to sell their property, it would all come back in the 50th year. And the reason for this particular law, the, the, the year of Jubilee, was to prevent oppression of people. It says here uh, in verse 14 again, a third time, and if you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor, do not oppress one another. So oftentimes what happens uh, in in a, a nation, in a community, is that in a time of de- um, of distress, for example, the Depression, where the banks took over ownership of so many houses because people couldn't afford to li- have their mortgage, you'd have um, the few in, in the country having such an advantage over um, the many that uh, the temptation to oppress is too much for fallen man to um, to bear, and they, they they begin to oppress the people. That's why after the depression, there was the government had to intervene. Very interesting. Even recently in uh, Hawaii, uh, that um, uh, forty-seven in, in, as of the late nineteen sixties, two private, uh, rather seventy-two private landowners held. F- 47% of all the lands in Hawaii. And so uh, the uh, government Hawaii came in and um, passed a law allowing the government to purchase by eminent domain uh, property from private landowners and to give the land to certain people who may be leasing that land. And the private landowner sued, and on May 30, 1984, the Supreme Court of the United States, uh, a ruling 8-2-0, rather unusual for the conservatives and, and the liberals on the court all to come in and rule together, um, they upheld the power of Hawaii to use the its power of eminent domain to break up large estates and transfer the land to the estate's tenants. And so um, here you have this very same principle back in the Bible, uh, uh, back in the Bible in the book of Leviticus, preventing a nation from uh, getting to the point where just there's tyranny of the few over the overwhelming majority that's never um, a good thing. Uh, There is quite a bit here about the pricing of property uh, because of the year of Jubilee. Verse 16 says, according to the multitude of years, you shall increase it, the price um, of the property. And according to the fewer number of years, you shall diminish its price. For he sells to you according to the number of years um, of the crops. Uh, Verse 18 
so you shall observe my statutes and keep my judgments and perform them, and you will dwell in the land in safety. Then the land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell there in safety. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year? Uh, since we shall not sow nor gather in our produce. We've already read this verse, verse uh, 21. Then I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, and it will bring forth produce enough for three years. And so in that 50th year uh, of Jubilee, God would bring about actually uh, before um in the 48th year, he would actually bring three years of produce to enable them to obey this statute. Verse 22, and you shall sow in the eighth year and eat old produce until the ninth year, until its produce comes in, you shall eat of the old harvest. The land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. And so uh, under this system, really, uh, of land, you weren't really selling the land, you were leasing it. And the price of the lease would be um, how close you were to the land of, uh, rather, to the year of Jubilee in the 50th year. So, for example, if the year of Jubilee was 49 years away, the price of the land would be much higher than if the year of Jubilee was just one year away. Another interesting point there is verse 6, where it says, The Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you, your male and female servants, your hired man and the stranger who dwells with you. So whether it's in the seventh year or whether it's in that 50th year, people really learned that their land was not their own. And it's so important that uh, be, be, that Christians understand this. You know, here we see, you know, the owners are seeing this male and see, uh, uh, female servants going into the field, uh, field in that year of rest. Um, the principle was, as they were to look at it, and it was supposed to be a remembrance that, wow, you know, my land really is not mine, and my land really is God's. Uh, so important for Christians to tithe. And, you know, from time to time you hear people say, oh, tithing is, a, is an Old Testament thing. No, it's not. It predated the law. It's, it, it's, it's something that is such an important principle for Christians to, uh, to practice, not as legalism, but as something to protect their own heart. Because if we are not regularly giving sacrificially, by sacrificially, the Bible speaks of 10%. If it was up to us, we'd give 0.01%, and then we'd call it sacrificial. But that 0.01% is not sacrificial. 10% is. Because if we don't give sacrificially, then our hearts will harden. And we will start treating our money as our own, just like these landowners. They start thinking their land was them, them, their own. God wanted there to be an obedience to this particular statute of resting the land every seven years. So the owners would remember, oh, wow, okay, yeah, this is right. I remember now. Land's not my own. My hired servants can go right in there and they can, um, they can use it for, fee, uh, for, for, for food. And uh, same thing with tithing. It's just a remembrance always before us that, oh, yeah, our money is not our own. And uh, I tell you, our hearts will harden 
if we're not regularly giving uh, sacrificially to the Lord. Verse 23 says, The land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. And so uh, there's not a prohibition um, of us selling um, our land today or uh, of us lo- um, earning, or rather owning land, but we are told in First Peter that we are sojourners, and meaning that everything that we put our hands to, we need to put our hands to lightly. There is the danger of Christians treating their homes um, as if they own them and that their hearts become rooted into their home rather than the, than in the Lord. And so that's why so many Christians refuse to be hospitable and invite people into their home, just like the uh, landowners had to let hired servants and uh, invite them into their fields and say, have at it in that year of Sabbath rest. Many Christians say, well, no, I don't have to invite people into my home and be hospitable to them or let someone stay with me for a week, a month, or a year because this is my home. I know it's not your home. It's God's home. And uh, how Christians uh, who disobey the commandment to be hospitable are ripping themselves off. I have found, Steffi and I have found, that inviting people into our home and just what that does to our hearts and our dependence upon the Lord has been just such a blessing. And here you see this whole principle uh, in the uh, Old Testament here of God wanting to remind his people in the clearest way that um, they are to not treat their possessions as, as their own. In verse 24, it says, In all the land your possession you shall grant redemption of the land. So this is really important stuff coming up. A foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Verse 25, If one of your brethren becomes poor and has sold some of his possession, and if, and if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem it, redeem what his brother sold. That word redeeming relative in the Hebrew, go el what's called kinsman redeemer uh, in the King James Version. So a blood relative, if you have a blood relative, they can come and redeem what you have lost. Verse 26, or if the man has no one to redeem it, he may redeem it himself if he's able. Verse 27, then let him count the years since its sale and restore the remainder to the man to whom he sold it that he may return to his possession. For he, if he is not able to have it restored to himself, then what was sold shall remain in the hand of him who bought it until the year of Jubilee, and in the Jubilee it shall be released, and he shall return his possession. Many Christians who are given over to capitalism, they detest these kind of verses. <laughs> uh, capitalism, um, look, I, I, I'm as much of a fan of certain capitalist principles as, as, as anyone else. Uh, I, I, I do believe that um, as a system that's good for fallen man, capitalism is probably the best. And communism sounds good that everyone... Uh, 
all ownership is in the ownership of the government and the government will make sure everyone um, has a part of uh, uh, in the ownership and the provision that makes that sounds well but it doesn't take into account the fallen sinful nature of man and them the capacity for corruption which just overwhelms every communist system um, the the capitalist notion of everyone needs to go out there and earn a living for themselves and own land and multiply ownership um, it, as they work hard uh, as a system for fallen man works. But uh, in this chapter, you see when f- capitalism runs amok and the property gets into the hands of mi- of, of of very few, and the few become become tyrants of the ma- many, that becomes a society that is com- in complete bondage. And so, um, similar to what we've already read here, there's a different twist to it that if you get into a bad state and have to give up your uh, land, if you have to sell your land, uh, then um, a blood relative can come along and buy it back for you. And this is works towards the stability of the whole uh, of the whole nation, of the whole country. And you did not have to wait to the year of, of, um, of Jubilee for every 50 years to get the property back. And also you could even buy it back yourself if you were able to work up enough money for it. Um, and so uh, there were a number of different qualifications uh, for this to happen, for this to take place, uh, if you lost your property uh, in order to have it uh, brought back to yourself, one is that there was a kinsman redeemer, someone related by blood. And um, the best example of that, of course, is in the book of Ruth, where Boaz uh, was able to step into the shoes of, of Ruth and Naomi, and he was related to them by blood, was able to purchase back property for them, also was able to um, have, was extended actually to the hand of marriage of Ruth. But uh, that all, this, this in Leviticus 25 and Ruth, in the book of Ruth, it was all, of course, a foreshadowing of Jesus. He's a kinsman redeemer to us, and he meets the first qualification that he was related by blood, meaning he was a human. I'm reading a, I'm reading a book of, of history right now, um, of Christian history, and there has been um, a their battles throughout human history, but particularly in the beginning of the church. Was Jesus really a man? Uh, and there were many sects, Gnostic sects, and things like this, who believed that Jesus really wasn't a man. They couldn't bear the thought of God being a God man, and so that um, you know that thing has 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 raged for millennial. But actually, at one point, at least in the natural, it threatened the very existence of the church because these kind of thought. This kind of thinking would um, gain a lot of traction. Um, 
there are a number of reasons why uh, Jesus had to take on human flesh. One was to fulfill the requirement of the Kingsman Redeemer, that he's only able to redeem us because he is related by blood. And so um, there's many other reasons as well. in addition to the fact that to, in order to become the perfect offering to God uh, and for us as flesh and blood to take advantage of that perfect offering, well, there needs to be a perfect life lived by flesh and blood that's credited to us. And Jesus did that. But, you know, we see this. Um, uh, another reason is that he needed to fulfill the requirements of a kinsman redeemer here in Leviticus chapter 25 in Galatians ch- uh, chapter 4, verse 4. It says, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that as we that we might receive the adoption as sons. So, first requirement to uh, uh, to to get the land back is number one, the kinsman redeemer had to be related by blood. Number two, he had to be free himself. So um, he couldn't be under the same kind of debt. Uh, kinsman redeemer, if they were under the same kind of debt, they wouldn't be able to buy to to pay the debt of 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 a near relative uh jesus um was free from the from the curse or the debt that man has taken on because of sin second corinthians 5 21 says for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of god uh number three the kinsman redeemer had to have the price of redemption uh they had to have the money uh, in in order to, um, you know, to 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 pay the 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 price of the property. First Peter chapter one verse nineteen says that we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, not with gold and silver, but the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so, salvation can't be purchased with money. There was only one who had the purchase price that was able to be our kinsman redeemer, and that is Jesus Christ himself. Number four, they had to be willing. In other words, you could have a kinsman redeemer. Uh, They could be free from debt. They could have the price of redemption, but if they didn't want to come and purchase the uh, the property back for you, well, they wouldn't do it. Well, Jesus also meant this one, of course, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says that we are to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What a phenomenal picture of Christ we have here in Leviticus 25, our kinsman redeemer, who redeemed uh, us because he was able to, because he's related by blood. He was free of sin himself. He had the purchase price, which was his own blood, and he was willing. What a wonderful picture of 
that. And so let's continue here in verse, in chapter 25. Where are we here? Verse 29, there was an exception to the... uh, the right that an Israelite had to have property uh, given back to him, and that was the um, houses in walled cities. Verse 29, if a man sells a house in a walled city, then he may, may redeem it within a whole year after he, uh, it is sold. Within a full year, he may redeem it. But if it is not redeemed within the space of a full year, then the house in the walled city shall belong permanently to him who bought it throughout his generations. It shall not be released in the year of Jubilee. And so, Perhaps because houses in Walled City were so closely tied to the economy of the city itself, people's jobs, etc., um, the 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 law of redemption when it came to your property did not apply to uh, houses in Walled Cities beyond a year. Another one, verse thirty-one. However, the house of villages which Uh, have no wall around them shall be counted as the fields of the country they shall be redeemed and shall be released in the year of Jubilee nevertheless the cities of the Levites so here's another exception and the houses in the cities of their uh, possession the Levites may redeem at any time and if a man purchases a house from the Levites then the house that was sold in the city of his possession shall be released in the year of Jubilee for the houses of the cities of the Levites are their possession among the children of Israel. So now Levites had a a, a special protection, not only the houses outside of cities, cities, but in a walled city. If you were a Levite, you had your property returned to you in a time uh, uh, if the Levite lost their property. You know, one of the saddest pictures um, of the state of the spiritual state of Israel is in the book of Judges in chapter 17 where you have this very bizarre series of stories uh, in in the book of Judges. If you think Samson um, is a bizarre story, it gets actually much, much worse after Samson. In chapter 17, you have this man named Micah who runs into an unemployed priest and he hires him. Now, that is a sad state in the life of any community, any nation where there is a uh, a pastor who's a man of who's a man of God, which the man was not in Judges seventeen. You know, nevertheless, that that he was unemployed, meaning that the spiritual state had gotten such where there was no need for 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 a levite and it's a sad state uh in in the life of a country when you have uh, men and, and women willing to be servants of god willing to uh be employed in in, in churches and this type of thing but um they're not being funded because the people of God are not giving and they're not giving because they're in a low spiritual state. Um, you know, I note that many of the churches up here in New England um, are being pastored by uh, in churches which can't afford to, to, to hire them full time, not necessarily because of the people in the church, but because the churches are so small 
uh, because the community in, in itself is so unchurched. And so uh, here in Leviticus in chapter 25, uh, there is um, a, prote- a protection, not a full protection, but a protection of sorts uh, to try to fund Levites in the case that they become so impoverished that they lose their houses even in a walled city. We'll give them their houses back. We can't afford as a nation to have the Levites impoverished where the word of God is is not going out and acting as a just as a as, as salt and light uh, in the community. And so uh, here you have um, a protection um, against that. In So let's continue. In verse 34, it says, But the field of a common land of their cities may not be sold, for it is their perpetual uh, possession. So this is referring in, um, to common land that were outside of the cities of the Levites. It could not be sold uh, no matter how badly the Levites, Levites became impoverished, it could not be sold. What weren't allowed to purchase that? The, again, God is trying to uh, protect um, the the spiritual life of uh, the nation of Israel by protecting the those who were the stewards of the Word of God, as stewards of the. Uh, the temple of God, of the tabernacle of God, uh, the Levites. Verse 35, if one of your brethren uh, becomes poor and falls into poverty among you, then you shall help him like a stranger or a sojourner that he may live with you. Take no usury or interest from him, but fear your God that your brother may live with you. So, so uh, Rather, continue in verse 37, you shall not lend him your money for usury, nor lend him your food as profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan to be your God. And so here you have the very powerful exhortation that you are not supposed to take advantage of your brothers and sisters who fall on bad times. You are not supposed to do that. Um, Don't take advantage of them who have fallen upon bad times. You know, I think of, you know, every time there's a hurricane, uh, lived up here in Massachusetts and, and, and also in the state of Florida, which is hurricane country. And um, from time to time when there's a hurricane uh, and a lot of damage, uh, one of the suppliers of lumber and other material um, begin to gouge the people. And the attorney general comes in and actually does prosecutions. And so uh, in our own society, we see that same kind of principle that we saw originally um, here in the Bible. So much good of what you see um, out in the world is really a remnant of something that originated in the Bible. 
I think I've spent many years in the corporate world where there's many of the human resources, policies and procedures requiring honesty um, with the uh, employees, requiring full disclosure uh, to employees uh, and this type of thing. So much of the policy and procedure that, that you're that is out there, even in the corporate world, that is good, good stuff. And there is good stuff uh, in many of these places, but it originates in the Bible and the Word of God. And you see that very uh, clearly here, originating here. Verse 38, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan to be your God. And if one of your brethren uh, who dwells by you becomes poor and sells himself to you, you shall not compel him to serve as a slave, but as a hired servant and as a sojourner, he shall be with you and you shall and shall serve you until the year of Jubilee. And then he shall depart from you, he and his children with him, and shall return to his own family. He shall return to the possession of his father, for they are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. You shall not rule over him with rigor, but you shall fear your God. And so um, here, just as with land, you didn't sell land, you leased it. Um, If one of your brothers or sisters uh, came upon bad times, uh, they weren't really and sold themselves to you to to survive, uh, that they um, were not really slaves, they were hired hands who would be released in the year of Jubilee, meaning uh, they, weren't, they weren't yours. They were the Lord's. And the year of Jubilee, just such a wonderful picture of Christ. Christ is our Jubilee, where all the debts that we have accumulated completely because of the grace of God are released because of the life, death, and resurrection of, of Christ, where we have a completely free slate doesn't matter how much we may have deserved to fall into debt, just like many of these people. And I'm sure there were many of them who had had to sell their land because of sin, because of drunkenness, because of some habit that they had, because of spending unwisely. Nevertheless, the land would be brought back to them. Same thing with some of these people who sold themselves essentially into slavery. I'm sure many of them, It was because of uh, poor choices they made along the way. Nevertheless, in the 50th year, they were given a clean slate no matter how bad their sin was. So it is with Christ. So many people in counseling from over the years just have a hard time believing that God can forgive them of this thing or that. Well, um, he does, and it's a clean slate, and it costs it. It costs us so little because it costs God so much. It costs Him the blood of His own Son, Jesus Christ, and so we can really understand that whole um, notion of freedom from these verses right here in the book of Leviticus, the Jubilee, where all those debts were canceled, even if they were debts that had been deserved. 
Now it says in verse 44, it says, And as for your male and female slaves whom you may have from the nations around you, meaning that are not Israelites, from them you may buy male and female slaves. So the law of Jubilee did not apply to them. Moreover, you may buy the children of the strangers who dwell among you and their families who are with you, which they beget in your land, and they shall become your property. And you may take them as an inheritance for your children after you to inherit them as possession. They shall be your permanent slaves. But regarding your brethren, the children of Israel, you shall not rule over one another with rigor. Now, if a sojourner or stranger, well, actually, before we go go on there, so the law jubilee as it pertained to someone selling themselves into in, into servitude did not apply to those who are not of the nations of, of the children uh, of israel and, and and you know you may say well what, what's going on here this doesn't seem uh that doesn't seem uh fair um a couple things number one remember again God had accept, he sort of accepted the world at the time of Abraham the way that it was, and he sort of worked with it. You know, eventually, uh, because of the influence of Christ and the spirit of Christ, slavery was abolished. It took a long, long time. It took millennia. But... Um, in terms of, of 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 slavery here, it it it's not completely abolished, and neither did Jesus when he came. He didn't come to abolish slavery; he came to abolish sin, so that we could be indwelled with the Spirit of Christ, which eventually would work its way into legislation, which abolished slavery. And so, at the time that Jesus came. Uh, and at the time here in the book of Leviticus, there was a much worse problem than the problem of a human slavery. It was the problem of spiritual slavery, the uh, spiritual slavery of, of sin, which would result in eternal judgment. So Jesus came supremely for that. There's many social ills at the time of Jesus, and he didn't uh, spend a lo- whole lot of time addressing him. He came to rescue us from an eternity in hell. Now, he also knew that once you know, men and women in the church dwelling with the light of the world, the lampstand, the bread of life within them, that eventually the legislation would change in many of these um, areas and that social ills would be addressed. But so here, you know, God does work with this institution of slavery. Now, in John chapter 8, it does have this notion of if you are a, a, a child of sin, you are a slave to sin, meaning if you never are rescued by Jesus from the, uh, f- from the slavery of sin, that sin nature in you, you will die in your sins, it says in John chapter 8. And you see this sort of a foreshadowing of this. If a, if a person doesn't come in and become a child of God um, they the, the, the jubilee doesn't doesn't apply to him so you do see um, uh, sort of a foreshadowing of that here it's unclear to me whether a, 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 a person a man or woman who 
uh, actually became an Israelite um, and went through the formalities of circumcision and otherwise, whether if that happened prior to the time that they uh, became a slave, whether the Jubilee would apply to them. But the, the overall foreshadowing um, um, is clear that unless we have Christ our jubilee we will die in our sins we'll die in our slavery verse 47 now if a so sojourner or stranger close to you becomes rich and one of your brethren who dwells by him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger stranger or sojourner close to you or to a member of the stranger's family after he is sold he may be redeemed again one of his brothers may redeem him or his uncle or his uncle's son may redeem him or anyone who is near to of kin to him in his family may redeem him or if he is able he may redeem himself and so a when it comes to a sojourner or a stranger meaning someone who is not an Israelite who become rich and they buy a um and they buy, um, they purchase a slave who's an Israelite. It appears to hear that um, even someone who is not a blood relative can redeem him, and uh, and he may also redeem himself. It says in verse 47, Now if a sojourner or stranger close to you becomes rich, and one of your brethren who dwells by him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner close to you or to a member of the stranger's family, after he is sold, he may be redeemed again. One of his brothers may redeem him, or his uncle or his uncle's son may redeem him, or anyone who is near of kin to him in his family may redeem him, or if he is able to redeem himself up, I stand corrected. No, he must be a blood relative. So a blood relative also had the right to go to a sojourner or a uh, someone who is not an Israelite, but they had to be a blood relative in order to affect the redemption. Thus he shall reckon with him who brought him. The price of his release shall be according to the number of years from the year that it was sold to him until the year of Jubilee. It shall be according to the time of a hired servant for him. Verse 51, if there are still many years remaining according to them, he shall repay the price of his redemption from the money with which he was bought. And if there remain but a few years until the year of Jubilee, then he shall reckon with him. And according to his years, he shall repay him the price of his redemption. He shall be with him as a yearly hired servant, and he shall not rule with rigor over him in your sight. And if he is not redeemed in these years, then he shall be released in the year of Jubilee, he and his children with him. For the children of Israel are servants to me. So this this, this year of, of, of Jubilee, it applies to the children, those who had been redeemed by God, but it doesn't apply to those outside. They would die in their slavery in the year of Jubilee, or they would continue in their slavery. But just as John 8 says, that if we are don't if we don't accept Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus came to save us from our sin, to rescue us from our sin, to put away sin, first John 
I believe it's chapter 5, said Jesus came to put away sin. We die in our sins. And so this incredible, wonderful forerunner to Christ here, the Jubilee, verse 55, for the children of Israel are, are, bonds, are servants to me. They are servants of whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Okay, in the next lesson, we will pick it up in verse, in chapter 26. God bless you.